Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, with this gospel this morning, we have an opportunity to meditate on a little bit here this morning about Jesus the healer and how healing kind of unfolds. That's what I want to talk about. So first, let's imagine being this blind man. I sat for a while praying imaginatively in the space of this blind man's life. And just imagine what that would have been like, that most of your life has been in the dark. And I say most of because when his sight is restored, he has a recognition of trees, so he has a memory of trees. So at some point in his life, he lost his sight. So most of your life has been spent in the dark and you're at the whims of other people at their mercy. There's no social safety net. You are a beggar. You can't work. So your whole livelihood, your whole ability to put food in your mouth depends on people's generosity. The whole world around you isn't designed or even considerate of your disability. It's very different today, right? The American Disabilities Act makes that uh, a beautiful gift for people with disabilities, but Not back then. Not back then. Imagine just walking on the streets. Streets. How quickly and easily he probably would have fallen. How much his hands and his knees would have been calloused and scarred up from falling. It was a very painful life. Then one day, out of the blue, this crowd comes to you. They surround you and they're hurrying you off somewhere. And you don't know what's going on. You hear scatter fragments of phrases and words. You hear Jesus, you hear healer, you hear Nazareth, you hear miracle, you hear all of these things and you just go with them because what else are you going to do, right? Are you going to fight them? You all of a sudden don't know where you are. So they bring him to Jesus and they beg Jesus to lay their hands on him. Now is this a, a crowd that is filled with compassion? Maybe. Is this a crowd that's filled with concern for this man? Like, We wonder if you're going to be able to heal our dear friend. Or is it a crowd that's just a curiosity-seeking crowd? Like, I want to see you do a miracle. We got a blind guy. Heal the blind guy. We don't know. But notice what Jesus does. Knowing that this poor fellow, he's got to be kind of shaken, kind of scared. I'm sure he's nervous and anxious about what's going on. Mark says that he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Outside the village. Notice, like this is not like, let me take you off just to the side of the crowd for a moment. This is something so much more. He led him outside the village. Notice how Jesus takes so much intimate time with this man, as he must have, walking him outside the village. And the taking him by the hand part. There's just so much tenderness in that. There's such a also power and fatherly love in that, that he knows exactly what this man needs and what would calm him down and what would bless him. And this may be a silly example, but I was, as I was praying through that, the, the, you know how movie scenes always pop in my mind when I'm praying with Scripture, but the movie scene that popped in my mind with this moment right here is from the newest Miracle on 34th Street movie. So we're still talking like, you know, 25, 30 years ago, this movie at this point. But there's a scene in that movie where you got Santa Claus in the department store and this mom brings her little girl to the Santa Claus 
And um, she's explaining to him, you know, she's deaf, just smile at her. And then all of a sudden, Santa starts, you know, doing sign language with the little girl. And her face lights up. You know, it's like love. Love knows what to do. Love knows what to do. Love knows how to accommodate to the beloved. And right in this instance, that taking him by the hand, that's exactly what the man needed. And if he's leading him outside the village, they're walking together for a long time. Again, this is not just stepping to the side of the crowd. And in your imagination, like what sorts of things were they talking about? Fill in that blank sometime today. Also notice this. That the very thing that burdened this man, the very thing that made his life really hard, namely his blindness, became the means of intimacy with Jesus. That intimacy with Jesus is always in our poverty. He enters into those places where we are weakest, most poor, most dependent, most fragile. And I imagine once they were outside the village, Jesus asked him if he could lay his hands on him, if he could heal him. So why this bit with the spit? Because that's gross. What's going on here? It's an allusion to Genesis. It's an allusion to Genesis, and it highlights Jesus' divine identity. So this is just a little, you know, aside here, but oftentimes you'll hear critics of Scripture or critical theorists of the Scripture look at, you know, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, uh, through the lens of what they call low Christology, that they have a very low human earthly view of Jesus. And then you got the Gospel of John with this very high Christology. So they say that the Jesus of history was this just this man, but then over time that he was apotheosized, he was made into a God, that he was divinized in the imagination of the early church. You hear this in scripture scholars like John Dominic Crossan and, you know, Bart Ehrman, other people like that. But Right here, Mark's gospel, which scripture scholars say is the earliest gospel, you have this very powerful allusion that he's making to Jesus as the divine creator. This is what I mean. So we've been reading Genesis these past couple days, the creation stories, all of that stuff. What you hear in Genesis is God, when he forms man out of the dust of the earth, he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, he becomes a living being. Now, I don't know about you, but it's very hard to sculpt th- something out of dust. It doesn't really stick together. I try and make like a snowball out of just like dry bread flour. It's not going to stick, right? Nothing's going to stick together. So according to Jewish tradition in the Talmud, in the Mishnah, these commentaries on Jewish scripture, the ancient rabbis had this belief that God spit into the dust to form mud. And out of that formed the first man. And you see these references to, the, to, to man as the spittle of God in Genesis. So what is Jesus doing? What is he doing? He's hearkening back to Genesis. He's, he's recreating this man. He's regenerating this man. He's making his... He's restoring his sight. He's creating him into a whole new being. In fact, that's why he doesn't send him back into the village. When he says, don't go back, he's saying, you're a new man. You're entirely something new. Okay, now here's the next question. Why was this healing miracle not just total and instantaneous? Why are there these, like, two stages, right? First, what do you see? I see men uh, walking, looking like trees, 
okay, all right, close. Let's, you know, try this again, right? Puts it back on his eyes. And then he sees clearly, sees distinctly. All right, this is, what, this is all I can say about this. And this is just speculation from my own work with my own heart and my, my journeying with other people in, in the healing journey. And I don't simply mean physical healing. I really do mean more like spiritual heart healing. Like healing takes time. For our hearts to be healed, it takes time and it unfolds in stages. And it's just like physical healing. Like the body, there are fixed laws in biology and anatomy that dictate how fast certain tissues can grow and regenerate. Like you can't make bones grow faster. You can't make muscle, muscles grow faster. Like there's a reason why it takes nine months for a baby to grow in the womb. Can't make it happen faster. Certain tissues grow at a certain rate. Certain tissues, they heal at a certain rate. Nothing can speed up the process. And in order for things to be healed properly, they have to be healed in the proper order. And the same thing is true of the heart. The same thing is true of spiritual healing. Like when I think back on my own healing journey, it really began, I would say, probably in 2008 when I really began taking the prayer life and interiority, all of this stuff seriously. Like, and the Lord knew what he was doing. Like he knew what to, like what he would show me and when he would show it to me. Like there were certain memories that he brought up then, certain wounds that were addressed back then that needed to be healed first. There were foundational things, certain things that needed to be addressed first. Things come up at the right time in the right order because the Lord is in charge of our healing journey. I think we often think, I often think, I have often thought, I should say, of the healing journey as like a search and destroy mission. <laughs> like let's identify the issues, let's identify the wounds, let's identify the hurts, the traumas, the stuff, and let's get in there, Lord, and let's just take care of this stuff so I can be fixed. The problem is you're not like a broken down piece of machinery that gets to be fixed. You're a person that needs to be loved. Healing is never a search and destroy mission. It's an invitation into deeper communion and deeper intimacy with the Lord. Like healing is not secondary or preliminary to your spiritual life. It's not as though first we do this healing stuff and then we do this discipleship stuff. It's all healing. It's all integration. It's all letting the Lord into deeper and deeper parts of our hearts and lives. So bottom line is this. Bottom line is this. Jesus, the healer, he loves our hearts and he knows our hearts and he understands our hearts and he reverences our hearts with such kindness and compassion and he, he knows how to heal us. He knows what to bring up and when to do it. And yes, all of this is really, it's contingent on our own willingness and participation our openness, our willingness to go there. But it's a process. It is a process. You have to make peace with the journey. We, at some point, we have to all make peace with the journey that you're never going to be fixed so that you can finally be good. <laughs> you're already good. You're just wounded. And the healer wants to love you in your wounds. He presses into these places, like he pressed into this place of pain and poverty with this blind man, not to bring more pain, but to bring his love there. Like that's how he heals. 
unlike physicians and doctors who heal and then send the patient on the way, the healing that we get from the divine physician is deeper relationship with him, deeper dependency on him, deeper communion with him. A sign of spiritual health is a growing recognition, oh, I need you more and more and more and more. If you think you only need him a little bit, you're in a bad spiritual place. Amen.